0: passion for god and compassion for our neighbor reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ this is crosswinds church and now here's pastor kurt truxis do you guys ever have one of those weeks where a bible verse just keeps going through your head anybody ever have yeah okay god keeps bringing one to mind well i've had one of those two weeks Over the last two weeks, I keep thinking of James chapter 3, verse 2. And I wrote it down in your outlines. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Turn me down a little bit, Robert. I'm a little hot here. If anyone is never at fault in what they say, he is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Uh, Two weeks ago, we began a new series called Trending, and we're looking at hot topics we began by looking at the topic of biblical manhood and womanhood, and after I finished that message, I realized that um, the way I said things or the way it came across didn't really communicate what I was hoping to try to convey. Apparently, the way I said things left some too many questions in many of your minds, and and I apologize for that. And then I listened to my own message, and I listened to the tone of my voice. And my tone, well, at least to me, sounded more harsh than gentle, and that certainly is not what I wanted to convey. So I wanted to begin by apologizing and asking your forgiveness for maybe uh, creating misunderstanding in some things and maybe sounding uh, harsh instead of loving to you. So I want to make sure I ask your forgiveness for that, for some things. Uh, I'm going to begin, let's pray, and let's pray that God has His hand on this particular message as we continue looking at biblical manhood and womanhood. Heavenly Father, we come before You before we touch this topic, a topic that is very fraught with misunderstanding. I pray that You would guard my mouth and guard my lips so I would say things that are true and helpful and gentle. But I also ask that you would break up the hardness of our hearts. Because when it comes to the topic of manhood and womanhood, there is something inside of each one of us that rebels against it. and rebels very deeply. Jesus, our goal is that we would become... Godly men and godly women, to your honor and to your glory. And to that end, we ask that you would do business in our hearts this morning. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. My goal this morning is simple. It's threefold. First of all, I'd like to go over what we went over two weeks ago. And that is simply to get everybody in the room up to speed Also, I want to clear up any misunderstandings that apparently came about as a result of that message. Secondly, if the time allows, I'd like to cover two more frequently misunderstood verses when it comes to biblical manhood and womanhood. And lastly, I would like to answer some of your questions, because that message uh, had people asking me more questions than I knew what to do with. So I I took the top four, and I'd like to answer them at the end, because they're very good. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. Take out your outlines. We're going to begin with this. First of all, what is biblical manhood and womanhood? Two weeks ago, we looked at this. We learned that men and women are equal in value. They're equal in personhood. They're equal in worth. But according to the Bible, men and women are given different roles, That's not that one role is superior and the other role is inferior. It's just that a man's and woman's role is simply different. It is like a pilot and a co-pilot on a plane. Both are needed to fly. Both are highly competent, but one is the pilot and one is the co-pilot. The roles that God gives us do not come about as a result of sin. We learned this two weeks ago. Our roles as men and women are found in the creation narrative itself, before sin even entered the world. So let's go ahead, and I'm going to review Genesis 1, 2, and 3, where the idea of biblical manhood and womanhood comes from. Genesis 1, we learned this, that male headship was introduced. You say, well, where does that come from? right here in Genesis one twenty seven, So, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So, what we find right from the beginning is that God called uh, the human race mankind, not humankind, not womankind, but Mankind. And that man was given representative headship over both genders. Now, let me explain this. When you go to Romans chapter 5, and by the way, don't rebel, just listen to this one. Romans chapter 5, it talks about that through Adam sin entered the world. Isn't this true? But who was the one who sinned first? It was Eve. But who is responsible for that? Adam. And through Christ, he is the head of not redeemed huma- or he is the head of redeemed humanity, right? And Christ is the head of redeemed humanity over both men and women. Now, this, I think, was misunderstood by some two weeks ago, uh, because some people thought that this meant that Adam was better than Eve. I'm like, no. It's not saying man is better than woman. Both of them are essential. What it means to have man as the representative head over Eve is this, that Adam has a job to care for Eve, to protect Eve, and to sacrifice for Eve. That is his job. He is the head over her to care for her. Male headship is not a green light for any kind of masculine pride. It's not a green light for arrogance or brutality over women whatsoever. That was misunderstood last week. Male headship means that men must care, protect, honor, sacrifice, and serve the women in their life, in particular their wife and also in the church, and to some degree, even in life. Now some of you said, oh, that's I can understand the the marriage and I can understand the church, but in life? Some of these roles still apply? When the Titanic uh, struck an iceberg, it had 2,224 passengers on it. In the lifeboats, there were 712 people most of them were women and children. You know why? Because men inherently knew that it was their duty to die that day, to care for, protect, and to serve the women, the ones they weren't even married to. You see how these roles still carry out into life today to some degree? That is what a man should do. In fact, we see Jesus Christ embodies what good male headship looks like. What did Jesus Christ do for us? Was he mean, authoritative, and harsh? Absolutely not. It says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. So male representative headship looks like Jesus, giving yourself up for those that are under your care, not bullying over those who are under your care. Genesis chapter 2, we find these gender roles were more deeply described. Eve, who was the first woman, she was representing the male gender, and I said two weeks ago that Eve was created in response to a man's need. Now, maybe that wasn't the best way to say it because I know that a number of people said, oh, that sounds so terrible. It sounds like we're some kind of hostile Islamic group where women are created to meet a man's need. And that's not what I was trying to convey. It was simply this. In the Genesis narrative, after God created man, He brought all the animals in front of Him. And he named all the animals, but the Scripture says there was not a helpmate found that was suitable. That man had a need for a helpmate that would be the right fit for him. And Eve was created in response to that need and to meet that need to be the perfect helpmate for Adam. Look what the Scriptures say. The man gave names to all livestock... And to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And I probably should have included the next set of verses. But what happens is Adam just bursts out in song, celebrating the fact that he has Eve. Because this is the perfect helpmate found for him. So the female gender was originally created to be the helpmate for the male gender. But understand this. Eve is of equal worth as Adam because she is made of the same substance of Adam. She was literally made from his side. But she was also made for his side. To be his closest helpmate, closest companion, closest teammate. And this is most vividly seen in marriage. Eve was not created, the scripture says, to rule over Adam, but she was created to be the helpmate for Adam. So what you have is a pilot and a co-pilot that were created by God to work together. Nothing is inferior about one or the other. Both of them are essential to fly the plane, but you need different roles. Now, this idea uh, of a man being um, charged with being a sacrificial leader and a woman, ultimately his wife, being created to be his helpmate, that casts a long and deep shadow over the rest of Scripture. And the Bible says that this creation narrative in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 actually helps define the way men and women function throughout life today. We're going to study that more in a moment, but let's move on to the last part of Genesis we need to look at, which is Genesis chapter 3, because in Genesis 3, we find this, that while God created gender roles, sin is what twists and warps gender roles, which you find man and woman were originally living in harmony as pilot and co-pilot. Genesis chapter 3, we find Satan enters enters the picture. And where did Satan go? Did he go to the head of the human family? The one who was in charge with caring and protecting? No, he didn't. He intentionally went to Eve to try and tempt her to sin. Now, this is what many of us miss. He was not just tempting her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what he was doing was he was tempting her to come out from under her husband's authority and to operate independently of his authority. Two parts to that temptation. And what happens is Eve led the way to sin, but Adam followed her into sin. Eve's choice to sin was a deliberate act But Adam's choice to sin was not just to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both of them did that. But Adam chose not to be that sacrificial, loving leader who would protect his wife. He actually chose the sin of passivity. He didn't protect her. He just followed her. So, both Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but Eve chose to come out from his leadership and to act independently of his leadership. And Adam, he didn't choose to protect her and to stop her. This is what the Scriptures tell us. Now, what happened is the Scriptures say that as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, um, s- sin touched their roles in the way men and women function in marriage. It says this, This is just a snapshot of some of the ways that sin cursed roles. Some of you have heard this before. Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This term desire means literally that a woman will have a desire to assume her husband's position in the relationship. Rather than desiring to be his helpmate and to submit and to support his leadership... Sin will naturally cause in a woman or a wife a desire to rebel against her role and to try and assume leadership over her husband and to wrest the yoke of the plane out of the pilot's hands into her hands to fly the plane in a direction that she wants it to go rather than submitting to the captain. That's the way sin manifests itself. And it says also that he shall rule over you. This word rule we covered two weeks ago is similar to what it means to a hammer to pound in a nail. It is not gentle. It is harsh, tough, mean-fisted leadership. So sin in a man will cause him to raise his voice and bully his wife into cowering submission. So men, when you start yelling at your wife, And you start using your size and your authority. You know what that is? That's sin manifesting itself in your relationship. As opposed to being like Jesus, who would be loving, strong, gentle, and sacrificial. Sin also manifests itself not just in harsh-hearted leadership. But to be honest, sometimes in men, sin manifests itself in the exact opposite, which is complete passivity. Passivity where men don't provide any leadership. They don't protect their wives. They don't go out of their way to love their children. They just sort of exist. And that is probably very common today, at least in my assessment of culture. Men are either bullies and thugs, or they're passive, uninvolved leaders. Either of those extremes are sin manifesting itself in a husband's relationship to his family. Now, where do these gender roles apply? Let me just say, there are two very clear areas where the idea of a male and female's role must apply. We didn't cover this last week, but I'm going to cover it this week. Number one is the family. Very practical stuff. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 2 and then verse 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Or in verse 5 For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands. What this says is, O oh, wives, The way you bring glory and honor and fame to God's name is you delight in submitting and supporting your husband. You delight in being a helpmate as you were originally created to do. You are delighting in being your husband's best friend, his greatest helper, his deepest support, his most intimate counselor. You delight in that, and as you do that, you bring glory to Christ. This does not mean, by the way, ladies, that you may not disagree with your husband. (laughs) Sometimes the most loving thing to do is tell your husband, well, I'm not too sure that's the right decision. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is really to just tell them the honest truth. But at the end of the day, you delight in playing the role of co-pilot, not Pilot, when it comes to flying the plane of life. One woman came to me after the the service and talked to me briefly on this. She said, what do I do if my husband does not understand his role? He's either completely absent from our home or he is a bully and a thug towards me. You expect me to submit to that kind of leadership and to delight in serving and supporting him? The scriptures say here in uh, 1 Peter that the position of a wife being a submissive helpmate is a very powerful position. And that when a wife delights in this, even when her husband does not quite understand his role about sacrificial love, what happens is when she delights in supporting and encouraging and helping him, her husband finds this very attractive. Her husband takes notice Her husband all of a sudden starts to be changed, it says in Scripture. Ladies, if you want to lead your husband to Christ, function in your original God-given role, delighting and helping him. If you want to mature your husband in Christ, function in your God-given role, delighting and helping him. Because a position of being a wife who is a submissive helper is not a position of weakness. Let me say this again. It is a position of strength. Very powerful. And husbands, what are you to do? Likewise, husbands, it says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, your job is to honor your wife. Whatever it takes to honor her, to make her feel loved, to make her feel cherished, to let her know that she is the most important thing to you. That is what you must do. And it says you live with her in an understanding way. This word understanding in the Greek literally means study. Men, you know how you study things and learn things like cars and all that kind of fun stuff and golf? It says study your wife. Learn your wife. So you can learn how to better honor her and love her and cherish her. That is our job as men, to be those sacrificial leaders for them. The second place that this uh, idea of biblical manhood and womanhood manifests itself is the church. Let me just touch base on this. We're supposed to have manhood and womanhood in the home family, but also in the church family. And the reason is this. The church, that's us we should be displaying to the world around us what it looks like for men and women to live together in biblical community, yet honoring our God-given gender roles. That's our goal as a church. And our touch verse on this uh, last time we studied was First Peter chapter 2. Let me read this, and it's a very tough verse where Peter says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self control. Very tough verse. I'm not going to answer all the questions in this verse. I covered that about two weeks ago, a little bit. But I do want to uh, just make some comments. First of all, I want to applaud a number of the women who went home and said, well, this is a tough verse. I want to do some extra research on this. And you got into commentaries and books and things like this, and you looked stuff up, and some of you came and you talked to me, and I just want to applaud you. That's exactly what you need to do when you have something you struggle with in the Bible. Uh, The other thing I want to do is answer some of the questions you gave to me. Some of the women said, well, I read some books, and what it said was the reason that women were not allowed to teach and have authority over a man is simply because they were not educated at this point. But once a woman was educated, then she could teach, and then she could have authority over a man. Let me just give you some of my thoughts on it. First of all, this was written to the ancient city of Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring. Um, and when you go back and look at the educational, of, the educational level of women in a city that existed 2,000 years ago, quite honestly, that's sort of a guess, isn't it? Nobody knows that Absolutely. The other thing is to say that your guess that this means that once women were educated, then they should be able to teach and have authority over men. That's sort of implying something that's not really stated in this text. That's a dangerous thing to do, in in my opinion. I'd be very careful about dismissing this clear teaching of Scripture that has stood for 2,000 years by the guess of somebody who thought about an educational level, what it might have been for women at that time. The second thing you need to know. I talked to a friend of mine this week who has a freshly minted Ph.D. in 1 Timothy. And it, from overseas. I think it was like Cambridge. I forget where it was. it was. It was incredibly brilliant. And one thing he told me was, if anything, the educational level of women in the ancient city of Ephesus was not one of ignorance. It was one of high education and esteem. The, in the ancient city of Ephesus was the home of the great temple of Artemis, of great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Some of you have read this. And she was a female goddess. And the women of the city often dressed like Artemis. And the women were given positions of high esteem. And they're used to being very vocal in public. And Paul comes along and he says, wait a minute. No, you should be silent and not have teach and have authority over a man. But the thing that really is important to me is look where he roots this. He roots it in Genesis 1 and 2, in the creation narrative itself. This is not something he is addressing that is a specific situation that once it's over with doesn't apply. He's saying this comes from the way God designed men and women to operate in the original creation itself. This is very important. This is why at Crosswinds, Um, On the elder board, we don't have women on the elder board because that is the top authority level structure in our church. That's why we don't have women pastors here at Crosswinds because that is the top teaching level of authority in our church. And why we are even now still continuing to wrestle with, is that appropriate to have women on the leadership board or not? We're wrestling with that and still talking about that. But... This is what you need to know about where these roles apply. For sure in the home, for sure in the church. Now let me give you some other misunderstood text on gender roles. These are sort of fun. 1 Corinthians 11, should a woman wear a head covering? You ever see some of those people who have head coverings? The Mennonites and the Amish. This is where they get it from. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered would be dishonoring his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And then a little later it says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angel's. Now, Pastor Jordan and I talked about this, and we realized that we have not been applying this as a church, so we are going to have head coverings for all the women. Uh, The Spirit Lake is going to go red and black. Spencer is going to go purple and gold. We just need your size. Okay, it's a joke. Uh, here's the point, guys. What is going on here in this difficult text? If we take what we know from Genesis 1 through 3 and a little bit of cultural background, we can demystify this tough text. You need to understand in this culture that a woman's hair was considered part of her beauty. And for a woman to let down her hair in public was very, how would you call it, similar similar to a woman wearing something provocative today. It would catch the attention of men. The second thing is that when a woman was married, she typically wore a head covering as an act of modesty and a way of saying this is the way she saved her beauty for her husband. So, when you were in public and a woman was wearing a head covering, you assumed that she was already married. Now, what was happening in Corinth, which was a very progressive city, is the women were saying, you know what? I'm tired of wearing my head covering. I don't want to wear this anymore. So in church, women are like, (laughs) off with the hair, you know. And some guys are like, whoa, man, she's a beautiful woman. They're finding this visually distracting. But not only that, there's this question where, well, is she married or is she not? And so what Paul says, is, he says, you know, there is an ordering of things in the universe that should be displayed. God is the head, and under him is Christ. Under Christ is man, and under man is woman. Or as some translation would say, under Christ is a husband, and under a husband is a wife. And that ordering should be displayed in public. So he says, women, dress modestly. But women, also, make sure you have a sign of authority on your head so people know that you're married. Now, in our culture, if all you ladies started wearing hats, hoping to think that everyone thought you were married, it would not work. They would think you're just preparing for winter. What is it in our culture that is a sign that you're under a husband's authority? A wedding ring. And you also take your husband's last name, right? So by taking your husband's last name and by wearing your wedding ring, what this is doing is saying, hey, I am in submission to my husband and I'm under his authority and it lets other people know that you're not available. And by dressing modestly, you're not trying to garner the attention of other men, but you're saving that for your husband. That is all this simply is saying. So ladies, you don't have to wear a hat in public, but do wear your wedding ring. It's that simple. Another uh, verse that's often misunderstood when it comes to gender roles is this. Galatians 3.28. I've seen this in a number of books. They say, look, Jesus eliminated gender roles. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look, there's neither male nor female, Paul says. But read this in its context. This is not talking about the elimination of gender roles. This is talking about salvation. Jews and Gentiles both come to God through Jesus. But when you do, you're still either a Jew or you're still a Gentile. Those who are slave or free also come to God through Jesus. But when you're, you come to God and you're saved, you're still a slave the next morning you wake up or you're still free the next morning you wake up. And you still have to function in the roles of a slave or the roles of a free person. You're a man or a woman. You come to God through Jesus and you wake up the next morning and guess what? You're still a man. And you're still a woman, and you're still functioning in those God-appropriate roles. That's all it is. Now, let me take some time to answer the questions that you guys asked. These are good. Number one, what can a woman do in the church? Because some of you say, well, it sounds like a woman can't do anything. And I like, no, a woman can do virtually anything in the church. This is that she cannot be a top-level authority, or she cannot be an elder or the teaching pastor. That's all. She can lead women. She can lead children. She can study theology. She can even write books on theology that she has studied. She can share the gospel. She can disciple. She can serve as a deaconess. And she could do ministries of mercy. You know, this is not an issue of a woman having less gifting than a man. Far be it from that. It's simply an issue of roles. Genesis, or Romans chapter 16, Paul, he notes 29 people he commends for their great service in the church. Do you know eight nine of those are women? Jesus gives... Um, Women a high position of standing. Acts chapter 16: Lydia is a woman who the church in Philippi meets in her home. She's crucial to the launch of the church in the city of Philippi. God uses her as a woman. Acts chapter 18: Priscilla and Aquila. And interestingly, Priscilla is the woman, but she's always mentioned first, because apparently she is an incredible woman. But what do they do? They take aside Apollos, who was a great and gifted teacher, and privately instruct him about more things in the faith that he didn't know. Didn't put herself publicly over him, but yet privately talk to him, which I thought was really pretty cool. Women can function as advisors and supporters, and they should. Remember, it's a pilot versus a co-pilot issue. And a good pilot will always listen to their co-pilot. Here at Crosswinds, let me give you an example of how this works. A few weeks ago, our Loa Ten Clay came up here, and she introduced Crosswinds kids, and she was trying to recruit for Crosswinds kids. But did you notice how we did that? Pastor Stephen came up first, and then Pastor Stephen introduced her because she is working for him. She is an extension of his authority. She is not independent of his authority. And Pastor Stephen's job, as a good pastor should be, is committed to help our Loa succeed as they work together. But, you know, there's no lack of, uh, there's nothing down or negative about what she does. He's just committed to helping her do the best she can, and he is the protection over her for any questions that go over, that happened. That's the way we exercise it. Next question. Are you saying a woman can't have a job or work outside the home? I am definitely not saying that. What we know is that obviously these roles apply in marriage. They apply in the church. But when it comes to life, let's face it, things can get messy. Should a woman get an education? Absolutely. Should a woman try to use her gifts for the glory of Christ and for the good of society? Absolutely. And many of us are deeply blessed by gifted and godly women. But there's many reasons a woman may choose to work outside the home. Two women talk to me after that first message and say, they work outside of the home simply to be a helpmate for their husband because their husband has become sick. Their husband has become ill. And so that's how they help him, by pursuing a career that they didn't originally plan to do. Other women told me that they have pursued a career outside of the home because there's needed family income. And their way of being a helpmate is to help add to the family income. Some women I know are single moms, and I feel incredibly bad for single moms because many women are single moms because of the sin of the man in their life who didn't love them, protect them, sacrifice themselves for them but rather decided to go and do their own thing. And that women are left caring for their children and earning an income at the same time. And my heart goes out to those single moms who are in that position. Other women uh, work outside the home because they're extremely gifted. And they use their gifts, not just for home, but beyond home. I'll give you an example. Um, Some of you know that my daughter had... Severe scoliosis. And she went to Mayo and had her spine fused. a Very long delicate surgery done by one of the best doctors in the nation who is a woman. And I am very thankful that she uses her extreme intellect and extreme gifts for the good, not just of her family, but for the good of my family and for the good of my daughter. Here's where the rub begins to come in. If you have a woman who works outside the home and she also needs to function as a wife and she also needs to function as a mother, realize that the role of a wife and a mother that we learn are very essential roles. They're very important. But here's what happens. Some women are extremely gifted. They can be a wife, they can be a mother, and they can function outside of the home. The, the, the woman in Proverbs 31 apparently did that. But many women find this. They cannot do all three and do them well. And what happens is something has to give. And it can't be what takes place in the office. And so sometimes it's the husband and sometimes it's the children. Second-hand information was shared with me that about two women who shared how they pursued a professional career, extremely good at what they did, but they realized after time that they had been neglecting their children because they could not do all three well. So here's the simple way to look at this. If you are a woman who works outside the home, the first question you need to ask yourself is, do I have to work outside of the home or not? Some yes, some No. And if I don't have to work outside of the home, uh, am I starting to uh, shortchange my role as a wife and shortchange my role as a mother? And if I am, maybe just for this season of life, I need to rethink my priorities. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not saying that a woman cannot work outside the home. Uh, One more question, and then we'll wrap this up. Should I break fellowship with a church that ordains women or has a woman pastor? Absolutely not. You know, we want to work together for the gospel of Jesus Christ as much as we can with other Christians. But I do need to let you know what my experience has been. As I work together with churches that actively pursue ordaining women, what I'm often pursued with is, you know, you are just uneducated, You are just ignorant and you don't know if you hold this really old, goofy, traditional view and you don't know why you hold it. My hope is that we've covered these two messages that when we talk about why we hold a traditional view, it's not because we're ignorant. It's not because we haven't thought through these things. It's actually because we have studied and we believe what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we believe it because he anchors it in the creation narrative itself. So we don't want to fight about this, but we are not ignorant. We have a good reason for why we do what we do. Tomorrow, when you wake up, you're going to look in the mirror. And what you're going to see staring back at you is yourself. But you're going to see yourself as either a man or a woman. If you're a woman, I want to encourage you to delight in your role, especially if you're a wife, especially if you're a mother. Delight in your role as a helpmate and to be excellent in that. If you work outside of the home, it's fine. I understand that. But if you're a man, I want to challenge you to delight in your role, to sacrifice, to care, to protect and to cherish and love those women that are under your authority, whether that is uh, under your authority because you've married one or under your authority because you're in a position of leadership in a church over them. To fly a plane, you need a pilot and a co-pilot, and both of them working together. Tomorrow morning, let's fly the plane of life for the glory of Christ by taking and assuming our God-given roles. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the challenge of your word. Uh, A lot here to study, Lord. A lot to think about. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to become men and women that glorify in who you've created us to be and what you've created us to do. And we, Jesus, help us as men uh, to step to the plate and be godly, sacrificial leaders. And as wives, I pray that you would help them, Lord, to delight in being the helpmate in mothers and wives that you have created them to be and do. Not Realizing that that is not an inferior position or a bad thing. It is a wonderful thing that you have given them. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.